needed. It has not been the best couple of weeks for the church, and when I say the church, I mean the church as an institution. The study of the Pew Research folk showed a sharp decline in church attendance from 2007, their last comprehensive survey, to 2014. Now don't worry, Christians still dominate the nation in terms of religious hegemony. But after the top category, which is Evangelical Protestant, which comprises of your Baptists, Pentecostals, non-denominational folk, etc., the second biggest religious group in the United States right now is the unaffiliated. These are folks who identify with no particular religious tradition. They had the biggest change in trend between the past seven years, going from 16% in 2007 to now 24%, and they continue to climb. Mainline Protestant churches such as us, the Episcopals, the Presbyterians, and the Methodists, experienced the second sharpest decline only a percentage point behind the Catholics. Now those of you that interact with me on social media know that I have a very low threshold for this is why the church is dying articles. It's not that I don't think anything is wrong with the church, quite the contrary. I think plenty is wrong with the church as an institution. And I look forward to examining that in this sermon and in our continued ministry together. But many of these articles, the vast majority of which can simply swap out a few nouns and still say the same thing, are articles that are trying to protect the church as an institution and not the church as the body of Christ. In other words, they are focused on saving our congregations and they are not focused on spreading the gospel. I'm not always sure if the institutional church is worth protecting. Historically, in the Western world, I look at the institutional church as an organization that has given the God stamp of approval on some awful things, justifying slavery, misogyny, and many other prejudices. We have been quick to cover up the crimes of faith leaders in order to protect them, rather than to bring them to justice. We love to take collections to feed the poor, we shy away from anything that would cause us to speak out on policies that keep them poor. We fetishize the plight of folks less fortunate than we are, so we can use their situation to make us feel better as Christians. And yet we learn nothing of the gospel. So I think it's fair to ask, is all of this really worth saving? I have to say I admire the work of young activists and community leaders on the ground here in Baltimore doing their part to change the city. I've met so many this past month, and they've been advocating for the least of these both before and after the events of this past month. And I can promise you that none of them are waiting for the church to get its act together. If the church wants to help, that's great, but no one is holding their breath. No one is out there with a checklist on who's good enough to serve based on prejudice. Folks see injustice and they look to address it, whether they are encouraged by God or their own conscience to get out into the fray. 
for those of you who are here last week, remember what I said about how the individual conscience matters. We don't always need a pep talk to understand that. Those organizing for justice remind me of the apostles in the Pentecost story. At the time they were gathering in Jerusalem after the ascension of Jesus, and there was no institution to protect. There is no Salem Lutheran, there are no stained glass windows, there is no bishop. There are just those who have followed Jesus waiting for the next step. And God unites them in the next step with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what was amazing about all of this was not the small number of followers that grew the day the church was born. It's that they were also very different. Different ethnic groups with different languages. Men and women both brought together to confess the name of the Lord. The religious leaders gawking at them, writing them off as drunkards because they cannot believe what they are seeing. But there is no alcohol involved. They are being moved by what brings them together. And that thing that brings them together is the name of Jesus. And they understand the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The vast majority of religious observation is inherently private. For all of our ethnic backgrounds today, none of our ancestors first confessed the name of Christ. Instead, they worshiped things like trees or animals or rain and fertility. Even our own faith tradition is an offshoot of the tribal religion of the Hebrew people. But the scandal of Christianity, indeed the beauty of the church at its best, as we read of all these ethnic groups participating in Pentecost today, is that it's not tribal at all. There is no prejudice in the name of God. We all experience the Spirit in our own way. I like what Dr. Frank Crouch says about Pentecost. These are his words. If we are used to thinking of any group as better or more divinely oriented, divinely ordained, we are used to thinking of any group as a better or more divinely ordained voice. For conveying the plans and purposes of God, the Holy Spirit tells us otherwise. All flesh, boys and girls, young and old, free and slaves, whether they be women or men, are graced with the Spirit's direct connection to prophecy, vision, and the dream of God. This was institutionally unsettling back then, and it is institutionally unsettling today. In this story, God shows no regard for our structures, our hierarchies, or the status quo. Even the basic, predictable structures of the cosmos are not exempt from what God has in store for creation. God's unstoppable drive toward new creation is made visible in the disorienting experience that God's revelation reaches even deeper than the isolation brought about by human culture, nationality, and language. God speaks through our words and actions and does not pause in the face of what we see as an insurmountable barrier that actually exists only by our own creation. The church does not work as a uniform idea. It doesn't work if we say that we all have to share the same experience. It doesn't work as if we all answer the survey I passed out with the same collective response. The church is not a monochromatic quilt. The church is a tapestry of many fabrics woven together 
by the same Holy Spirit. And it functions at its best when we do as Paul told us to do and proclaim Christ crucified. For in God's foolishness, God uses the death and resurrection of the Son of God to save the world. And in God's even greater foolishness, God uses each and every one of us gathered today to do God's work in bringing the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. The institutional church's mission is to gather. It is here that we hear the word and receive the sacraments. And where two or more are gathered, no matter what the numbers say, Christ is present. Allah did an amazing thing on that first day of Pentecost, and God continues to do an amazing thing through you. Let us celebrate this amazing thing as a church, forsaking, forsaking a spirit of judgment and oppression and prejudice for a spirit of love and renewal, listening and including. For it is in following that Holy Spirit that the church is born. And it is in that spirit that we truly share faith, hope, and God's love with all whom we encounter. Amen. Would you please rise as you are able?